Praise the Lord. Always, we always praise Him, don't we? It's good. God is good. Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to Exodus chapter 19? Exodus chapter 19. It's good to know that Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is not defeated. He is the victor. He's alive. He's ruling and reigning. He is the Lord over all things, and he's the one whom we praise today. Exodus 19. So at this point in the word of God, the Lord in his goodness has brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The Lord has shown us covenantally what that means is the Lord has shown us in the way that he acts toward people in the world, that he has chosen uh, a particular people, and they're called the Israelites. They've come from a, spe a specific family, but the Lord's chosen them out of other nations, not because they were the greatest or the strongest or the coolest or the most technological. In fact, they were the smallest. They were weak. They were enslaved. They were uh, being pummeled by the Egyptians. They were being used by the Egyptians who were the world power at the time. And so the Lord rescues them. He hears their cries, and he brings them out of slavery. And you remember the story from all the Sunday school lessons and, and animated movies that have been made and all those kind of things. He delivers his people with power. He uses plagues upon Egypt. That's a scary thing. One of the plagues was utter darkness. Everybody's afraid of the dark, especially when they're little. And so God plunges the earth into darkness. Why would he do that? He does that because the Egyptians believe that the sun is their god. And so even the Lord can control their greatest of all their gods, the sun, the Lord can control it. Because he is not just the judge of the world, but he is the creator of the world, the one to whom praise is due. And so he delivers his people. He delivers them with what he, the Bible describes as a strong right arm, which is the way of talking about a warrior. So he goes to war for his people. He saves his bride, if you will, to bring them out of slavery, to redeem them, and to make them his own. But there's a problem, and that problem is that for 400 years they've been enslaved in this place, and they don't know him. They don't know who he is. They don't know much about him. They remember some of the old stories, sure. They know a little bit here and there, but for all intents and purposes, they're culturally Egyptian. They're not Israelite anymore. And quite honestly, the people are now being formed into a nation. So to be Israelites, it's taking on a different meaning now because God is just demonstrating to them how he wants them to live and what kind of people they should be. And so the Lord, in taking them out of this slavery situation, has now brought them into the desert. And they're going to a place that's called the Promised Land because God had promised their forefathers that he would give them a land. And so they're going to this place that they're supposed to inherit as their promise, as the place they're supposed to go. On the way there, though, they stop at this special mountain called Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, they're going to receive the law of God coming up. Because he is forming them into a nation, and you can't have a nation if there's lawlessness. And so the Lord, in demonstrating that he is their God and their king, and in fact the creator of the world, is also showing them the way that he wants them to live, and he does that through the law. So we'll remember this law in Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. If we've heard them before, we know those. But let's read what happens in Exodus 19 so we get a feel of what's going on here. Let's start at verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness at Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in the wilderness. 
There Israel encamped before the mountain. Do you get the feeling they're encamped? They have encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, in verse 3, the Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In verse 7, So Moses came, and he called the elders of the people, and set before him all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported these words to the people, the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and also may believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go and tell the people to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up onto the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain and, the, and to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Don't go near a woman. Now, why, why do you think all these prohibitions are happening? Does God not want married couples to be together? Of course not. I mean, he, of course he wants them to be together. That's not the prohibition. He's telling everybody, this is special. I'm coming to you. How many of us have prayed, Lord, if you just reveal yourself to me, or if I could just see you? And so here, they're getting their prayer. Not only that, but we've already read, even as he's talking to the people, he says, you yourself saw how I delivered you from Egypt, how I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. You've seen it. This isn't a story from your parents. You witnessed all the things that I did to the Egyptians and how I preserved you. They've already been eating manna. They already know what the provision of God looks like. They already know what God's loving kindness looks like. But they also know what his wrath looks like and his judgment looks like. They know what it looks like. You know, God came to the Egyptians through Moses. He came to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. This is the word of God. And Pharaoh said, I will not. And ten times he gave him warnings. Let them go through the plagues. And every time they said, we will not let them go. And finally it comes down to this great judgment of God bringing the angel of death upon the people. And the Passover, we remember these stories where there's a lamb that's slaughtered and blood on the doorpost and the angel passes over all the Israelites but visits the Egyptians. And it's not just something that God does just out of vengeance or anger or silliness. God's given them warning after warning after warning. And even beyond that, after they're let go, Pharaoh still hardens his heart and wants to pursue them and gathers his army together and charges racing after the Israelites to bring them back. And we know the story as the Israelites are going through the Red Sea and it parts and they go on dry land and then the sea crashes back in on the Egyptians. Could you imagine 
the terror that you would have seeing the power of this God, knowing him. You've witnessed that you have been born on eagle's wings, delivered from slavery, but also the power of the majesty of the creator. He controls the weather. He controls the insects. He controls the animals. He controls rivers. He can change them into anything he wants. He controls life. He controls death. He controls manna falling from heaven, bread falling from heaven to eat. Incredible. And you see all this power and you witness all that God has done. And then he says, I'm going to come visit you. How do you get ready for that moment? Well, he tells Moses, wash your garments. Get consecrated. Make yourself ready. Don't do normal things. Be set. Make sure. Make sure that you are clean and ready to come. Because if you're not, we've seen what he does. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart. Don't let anything come in between you. Let's make sure we're ready. In fact, build limits that in case the people are overcome with any kind of emotions or whatever, they don't press up under the mountain because this God is so holy, he's so powerful, he's so beyond us, he's so magnanimous, he's so amazing that if you even touch the mountain that his presence comes on, you will die. In fact, we're going to make sure that he's so revered among the people that even if a sheep or a goat goes past those limits, we will stone it to death to ensure that this God does not become angry with us. We saw how he delivered us. What if he changes? What if we become the object of his wrath like the Egyptians? They're just meeting him. Scary. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke that went up was like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled gently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let also the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up on Mount Sinai, for you yourself have warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break out again against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And then Moses comes down and starts describing the law of God we see. In this incredible scene, the people eventually cry out and say, the Lord is so scary to us. Let you speak for us and let you speak for him. We'll go through you as our mediator. Whatever we say to you, we know that you'll deliver it. Whatever he says, we know that you'll deliver it to us. But don't let him come so close to us because we might perish just by being in his presence. This is not the nice, happy, easy scene we often think of. Lord, if you would just show up in this situation, what if he showed up like this? 
What if he showed up with, smire, with fire and smoke and it looks like a kiln and he comes down and the ground is trembling because the creator of the universe has set his foot upon the mountain? How incredible. Could you imagine if you prayed at work and the Lord started answering you in thunder? That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> That'd be pretty awesome. But this is a scary scene. It's big. There's a lot going on. And this God is to be feared and revered. And you should consecrate yourself to come into his presence. And he's so much bigger than we often give him credit for. He's so much more glorious than we often give him credit for. And we know his love through Jesus Christ. But sometimes it's so easy for us to forget the fire also of this great and glorious God. He is bigger than the nation of Israel. He's bigger than the creation on which they are standing. And his judgment, his word, his power is bigger than even the imagination of the people. They cannot contain it. Skip with me ahead, if you will, to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Moses goes up to receive all the law of God. He's there for a long time. He's speaking to the Lord. The Lord himself writes all the laws while he's up on the mountain onto a tablet that he can bring down. On the front and back, he writes the Ten Commandments specifically with tablets of stone that are written by the very finger of God. Then in verse 32, it says this, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down to them from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who's his brother, and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in, your ears, that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. You know, slaves have earrings. Slaves in this time wore earrings. That's how you knew they were slaves. They all have gold in their ears because they're slaves. So they're taking the object of their slavery and they're bringing it to Aaron. And he, this is verse 4, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Only he's not talking about the Lord. He's talking about the, the idol they've made. And they, ro they rose up early the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly from the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone and let my wrath, that my wrath may burn hot against them that I may consume them in order that I make a, may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord with his, his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore on your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from his disaster that he had spoken upon the people. Then Moses turned and went from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, tablets that were, that were written on both sides. On the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua, who's Moses' helper, heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of a cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing that I hear. As soon as he came to the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel to drink it. The word of the Lord. What a scene. What a scene. We're reading this today and looking at the story because... These were the people who they themselves witnessed. The hand of the Lord delivered them from slavery. They were the ones who knew what it felt like to be borne up on the wings of eagles. They're the ones who saw God's power displayed. They're the ones who had cried out to the Lord for help. And he revealed himself with such great immensity of power that he crumbled the world's leading nation that he delivered his people out of slavery, that he made them his own people, that he made them to be something that they weren't. And their first act, their first act, when Moses goes up the mountain, after witnessing the very power of God, was to take the object of their slavery, the earring out of their ear, and fashion it into something else that they could attribute to being the God of the universe. They had witnessed his power, and then immediately forsook relationship with him for religion. You see, what they did was they were just being good Egyptians. They didn't have their idols with them anymore. Moses was gone. They're afraid. They're alone. They feel vulnerable. They don't know what to do. Now we're on this mountain. God's been providing food for us. But with Moses gone, with the one to whom God speaks, surely he can't speak to us. If he speaks to us, we're going to die. So you know what we need? We need a different mediator. We need something else that's in between his great power and us here because he'll consume us. Even if we consecrate ourselves, he'll consume us. I know, I know, let's make a golden calf. It can be in between him and us. It's the Lord. It's just what he looks like here. It's great. This will save us. This can be the in-between thing. This is great. We're still serving God. We're just doing it this way. The problem is they've already met him. The problem is they know his power. The problem is he came down. The problem is they saw with their own eyes, with their own senses, how great his power is, how great his wrath is, how he's the only one to be praised. And now they're taking this thing and putting it in between them and God. And they're trying in their vulnerability and they're not knowing what to do. And Moses seemingly being away, they don't know, they're not sure. And we've got to do something, what should we do? And they turn to religion. Singing, dancing, festivals. If we just go to the right conference, if we just sing the right song, if I just get the right verse, oh Lord, oh just speak to me. Oh God, it's this one. That's what they've done. They've taken this 
form of godliness to try to come to the creator through his creation. They've turned to religion rather than trusting in the one to whom they were called to relationship. And Moses comes down and he sees the anger of God boil up in himself, throws down the tablets, burns the calf, and makes the people drink of it. You know, the Israelites, how incredible is it that God's chosen people, the ones that he's called to change the world, fail at the very first instance. At the very first instance. So what does God do? You see, there is a real problem. That real problem really is that he will consume us. The problem really is that we will fall short. The problem really is that he is so much bigger and so powerful in all his ways that we do need a way to come to him. And if we try to come ourselves, if we step on the mountain ourselves, we'll surely die. So the Lord sent a mediator. He sent one who would go between us, but it wasn't a golden object. He sent his own son who took on flesh for us, that he would come down into the brokenness of this world, that he would be able to pull us up through himself, through his cross, his death, his resurrection, from the midst of our junk, from the midst of our slavery to sin. And he would pull us through his victory up onto the mountain that we would step with him into the very presence of God. Jesus said this, there is no way to the Father except through him. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's the answer. He's everything. He's the embodiment of God in every way because he is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, but he became a man for us that we would know life. And where everything in this story says, stay away from God's presence. Everything about the mountain says, build limits that you wouldn't come too close. God broke through all the limits by sending his own son. But he didn't do it so that we would fall into religion. Why am I telling us this today? I'm telling us this today because many of you, like me, are sad about the events of this week. And one of the overwhelming things that I have felt and seen amongst people I've talked to is a sadness to think that our nation was better. Surely we were better. God had called us, hadn't he? Hadn't he used us and done great things? Surely America belongs to God. And then we see all this craziness happen and division and it doesn't matter what party you're in. It doesn't matter if you're celebrating or sad, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all had an expectation that things would go differently. Everybody. And the reality is we cannot fall into a trap of thinking that our religion is going to solve things. That doing the right thing is going to solve things. That this idea of trying to build up our nation or build up our government or build up the right song or build up whatever is going to change things because God has made one solution for us. The one solution is the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only solution. It's only his gospel. It's only his way. He's the only one who can save us. And as we come before him, we remember today his power and the glory of his might. And we cry out to him and we remember all that he's done because as Mike read to us today, he is the mediator who came. Just like the Israelites, they're standing before the mountain. They cannot come into God's presence. And the context of what Mike read in Revelation today is that a strong angel holds out a scroll and says, who is worthy to come before God and take the scroll? And the truth of the matter is no one is worthy. There is no government on earth. There's no power on earth. There's no person on earth. There is no idea on earth 
that is worthy to come before God himself. And so John, the, the author of Revelation, is, is weeping because no one is found worthy. There's no one who can go past the limits up to the mountain, if you will, to come into God's presence. No one is able in heaven, in earth, under the earth. No one. But then he's tapped on the shoulder and there's one standing as a lamb who was slain and Jesus is found worthy. He's the only one worthy. He's the only way forward. And it's through him, it's through his death, his resurrection, that we have life, but also that God has called us to bring us into the presence of God now through the limits that we would be close to him. And if we put our hopes into religion, if we put our hopes into a nation, if we put our hopes into politics, if we put our hopes into anything but him, we will be found wanting every time. And then it's just sadness that creeps into us. You know, I'm sad. I'm sad at all these things that happened. I'm so sad. But at the same time, I'm so full of hope in Jesus because he is so far above and so high. What does our nation need, do you think? They need Jesus, yes. You know, I, I thought long and hard, what do I say today? What do you do? Some people, you know, it's not a great it's coronavirus and all the stuff of the Capitol, and it's just nasty, and maybe we just pray the whole time. That'd be good. Honestly, you know, what, what do you say? What do you do? I thought, man, I, can, I, I need to say something to really encourage the people. But here's the deal. Jesus is our encouragement. He's it. If I stand here and I say, God will meet all your needs, he's going to make you feel better. It's not true. It's not true. The truth is that we live in a world of people who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They know they should worship him, and they've set something else in front of him. They've seen his glory revealed in creation, that the God who made the universe is the God to whom all praise is due. Everybody innately knows it. And yet, we have placed idols in front of him to say, I won't go. I'll go through this. I'll worship this. I'll worship me. I'll do what I want. I won't be under his thumb. Whatever it is. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. And the truth and the way forward is not to say, be encouraged. It is to be encouraged knowing that our king is on the throne, that he is the only way, that he has come through the limits, that he saved us, that he rose us up, and that he's the same God who had all that fire and wrath. He is him. And to know him, to come to him, not just to come to church, not just to sing the right song, not just to pray the right prayer, there's no magic enchantment that's going to make things better for America or for us. Instead, it's him. It's coming to him. And the Israelites themselves saw God's power firsthand. And within a matter of a very short time, having seen the fire for themselves, having heard his voice in the thunder, they turned aside to find another God, another one that could be in the middle. The answer is not just to make people feel better. The answer is not religion. The answer is relationship with the one true God who has saved us, who's made us his through his death and resurrection, who's the only way, the truth, and the life. I'm reminding this to you all because this is our message. The message is not God has better things ahead. The message is Jesus Christ on the throne. The message is he's worthy of all praise and power. The message is he has saved us by his might and by the power of his gospel. The message is that Jesus lives and he's worthy of our praise. Remind yourself of that today.
If you want the kind of joy that Christine spoke about, if you want to know joy in you in every way, if you look around and see sadness for our nation, pray for our nation, but then remind yourself of the truth of his word, that he is seated on the throne, that he is the only way to salvation, and he's our life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to spend just a, just one, a couple minutes real quick and worship here as we close the meeting. As we do this, take a moment for yourself. If you feel sad for our nation, if you feel burned out in the mission, if you feel like you don't know where things are going, because all of us feel that way, if you feel unsure about what it's going to look like in our nation's future, if you're concerned that America won't look the same way as it comes up, guess what? It probably won't. I'm not saying that about any politics. I'm saying that about the word of God going forth will change our nation. And we rest on the word of God that he himself is our hope. Remind yourself of his gospel. Remind yourself that he's the only way. Remind yourself that it's not religion that saves us, that it's not just doing some kind of song or something, but it's he himself and he is our message. Cling to Jesus today and let his power, his might, and his love fill your heart as you know him. He is the way. He is our everything. Amen? Let's stand together.